Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett. So glad that you are joining us today. We're talking about the subject of how I can walk in humility. And I'm talking about walking in humility for the long haul. Now, there's two things we've got to eliminate if we want to walk in humility. And we're talking about those two things today on the broadcast. And those two things come from our key verse, Philippians 2, 3, and 4. And Paul says, do nothing out of, number one, selfish ambition, and number two, out of vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. You know, I read an article, and it was a playground scene that turned tragic after a woman was shot and killed after a basketball game. This happened in October of 2022. Cameron Hogg, age 31, is now facing murder charges in connection with the shooting of Asia Womack, who is 20 years old. Asia Womack had recently defeated Cameron Hogg in a pickup basketball game. And witnesses say that the game was heated and that there was plenty of trash talk on the court. Well, later that day, Hogg drove his truck to another location where Miss Womack and another friend were seated outside watching a football game on TV. When Hogg got out of his truck, Womack stood up, ready for another confrontation. But instead of saying a word, Hogg pulled out a firearm and shot her four times. Her mother said, as she lamented the killing, that there had been nothing between these two. They were actually friends. She said he'd pull up to the house, pick her up, they'd ride together, eat food together, take phone calls together, and she even gave him some money when he was in jail. And you turn around, and then you kill her? It was senseless for him to kill his friend over a basketball game. Not even the game itself, but the words were spoken after the game. After witnesses had identified Mr. Hogg in a photo lineup, police arrested him without incidents. Now, what caused this? This was a crime committed because of jealousy, or we could say a selfish ambition. So today I'm going to give you five indicators that you are selfishly motivated. And number one we covered in the broadcast yesterday is that you live in a distorted reality. You can't see things for what they really are because you're driven for a desire of self. In Acts chapter 18, Paul is heavily involved in beginning a ministry, a church, and the church is called the Church of Corinth. He does it with Aquila and Priscilla, and this church was a wonderful church. It is a church that was considered a carnal church because they were very secularized. So when they came to Christ, they had a lot of baggage. Now, instead of dealing with a lot of this baggage, some of it turned into salvation ambition. And Paul says, I'm not going to recognize you, and you're not going to recognize me, because you have a distorted reality. You're driven by discord and jealousy and a selfish ambition. Uh, We learn, secondly, that we are headed toward eternal death if we are driven by selfish ambition. You know, the Bible is very clear when it comes to salvation. It's not of any works that we have done. Why? Because even if we could bring about salvation by works, we would be bragging about it. For by grace are you saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, 
lest any man should boast. Easy, Paul knew and Jesus knew that if it was possible, and it's not, uh, if it was possible for us to be saved by our good works, man, we'd be so full of ourselves. Can you imagine how terrible heaven would be if we got there because of our good works? We'd be bragging all the time. We'd be saying, hey, how'd you get to heaven? Well, I gave $1,000 to the church. Oh, yeah, that's no big deal. I gave 10000 to the church. We'd be bragging about how we got to heaven. Well, I want you to know you're not going to get to heaven because of your good works. Our good works, our righteous acts are as filthy rags in the sight of God. We're not going to be saved because of our good works. And if you are depending upon good works, you are heading toward eternal separation from God. Well, there's a third thing that you can look at in your life to discover if you are driven by selfish ambition or not. People driven by selfish ambition are constantly stirring up trouble, stirring things up. Now, if you're a person that has got a reputation of always stirring up trouble, I would wonder if you're saved. But selfish ambition is not going to bring about a change in your life. And an indicator that you are selfishly ambitious is that you're constantly stirring up trouble. Why do people constantly stir up trouble? Because they love the attention. Uh, They are jealous over others who get attention. Uh, You think about that child that is disruptive in a class. Maybe he's a little guy who's got ADHD. And a teacher asks him a question, and he has no idea what the answer is. And so he discovered that he can get attention from the class by turning a question around and making everybody laugh. You see, he craves that attention. And it doesn't matter if he's getting it for a negative reason or a positive reason. He just wants that attention. So he will disrupt the class in order to get that attention. We call it negative attention. He doesn't care. He just wants that attention. Those who are driven by selfish ambition, they want that attention. They crave that attention. And well, there's a fourth thing that we look at when we're talking about those who are struggling with selfish ambition. That is, I'm following worldly wisdom. Let's look at James chapter 3. James says this, Now who is wise among you? Let them show it by their good life, by the deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. But then he says, if you harbor bitterness and envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, uh, don't boast about it. Uh, Don't deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. You see, when we are selfishly driven, we are following worldly wisdom. Selfishness moves you to compare yourselves to others. Where God celebrates you and godly wisdom will allow you to celebrate others and their success. Maybe a better way that we can understand this is by looking how Jesus addressed how we should be living our lives, and how we should exercise the authority that we have. Matthew chapter 20, verses 25 to 28. Jesus calls them and he says, you know, the rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. But then Jesus says, it shouldn't be that way among you, but whoever wants to be great among you, 
must be your servant. And whoever to be first among you must be your slave. And then he says, even the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now here Jesus is doing a contrast. He says, worldly wisdom says, you got to rule over people. You got to lord over them. Use that exercise. Use that authority. Now, I always say that when a small person is giving a big issue of authority, it goes right to their heads. I've had several people that I've known, they did great at their job until they got a major promotion. And all of a sudden, they had people under them, and it went right to their head. They used that authority to lord over people. But Jesus says, it's not so among us. For worldly wisdom, it might do well to lord over people, but that's wisdom from the world. But wisdom that comes from God is that I'm going to be a servant. You want to be great in God's kingdom, be servant of all. Whoever wants to be first must be last. Jesus gives us this example. He didn't come to be served, but he came to serve, and he gave his life as a ransom for many. You will never be a person of humility if you are motivated by selfishness. You see, selfishness moves you to compare yourself to others where God moves you to celebrate what others are doing. You see, following worldly wisdom will always leave you without humility. Well, there's another thing we got to look at. We talked about that if I'm selfishly driven, I've got a distorted image of reality. I can encounter death, eternal separation from God, one that will constantly be stirring up trouble. I'm driven by worldly wisdom instead of godly wisdom. And then number five, when I am a person that is driven by selfish ambition, I am actually practicing evil. We look further down in James chapter 3, in verses 16 and 17, where James says, Where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder in every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure, and then peace-loving. It's considerate, then submissive. It's full of mercy, good fruit, impartial, and sincere. Now, a mixture of good and bad will always turn it into bad. Let's say I have a bottle of water here, and I said, hey, uh, this is a 99.9% pure H2O, no impurities whatsoever, except I'm going to put one drop of cyanide in that water. And I don't know about you, I'm not going to drink it. He said, man, it's only one-tenth of one percent. It's not even full percent. One-tenth of one percent. The rest of it is pure. Uh, Won't the pure cancel out that cyanide? No, it won't. You see, a mixture of good and bad makes bad. He said that godly ambition is being radically God-centered. Radically self-centered means that I am pursuing everything for my own agenda. So what does it mean to be radically God-centered? It means that I have a godly ambition, not a selfish ambition, And the neat thing about having a godly ambition is that godly ambition ends 
with us reflecting God's glory. Selfish ambition ends with us reviling His glory. You know, perhaps the greatest example of somebody who was selfishly ambitious is Satan himself. You know, it's harder to imagine a bigger ambition than saying, I will be like the Most High. But what was the problem with Satan's ambition? It was not radically God-centered. Instead, it was radically self-centered. Satan set himself up as a rival to God, and he sought the glory apart from God. And then Satan tempts Eve, and tempts Eve the same way in the garden that he was tempted. He says that God knows in that day that you eat of that fruit, you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Satan wanted Eve to be like him, to be like the Most High, that desire to be like the Most High God. Well, what is humility? I used to think, well, humility is thinking, you know, less of myself, like a lower image of myself. Uh, Get off my high horse and think lowly, right? But really, it's not spending time thinking less of myself. It's thinking less time of myself, spending very little time thinking about myself. It's not thinking about myself at all. That's really what humility is. You see, Paul says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. It is another step, right? Not only am I not thinking about myself, I am looking to the interests of others, not just my own interest. So a mark of humility is that I am valuing others as more important than myself. Now, this is a tall order. I don't think you can do this unless you're spirit-controlled. Paul says, in humility, value others above yourselves. And now the difficulty, I think, that most of us have, and I'll put myself in this category, I don't think I'm way better than anybody else. I think I'm just a little better than somebody else. Kind of reminds me of a couple that I was sharing the gospel with, and, and their home is in the shadows of a prison. And it kept referring to the guys in the prison and says, well, we know that we're not perfect. But we're not like those guys. Uh, We're a little better than those guys. We're not quite as bad as them. No, no, humility values others more important than yourself. And and I kept bringing it back to the fact that all of us are sinners. And then they finally said, well, you know, we do keep the Ten Commandments. And I said, well, that's great. Uh, Can you name the Ten Commandments? They couldn't even name the Ten Commandments. They said, how are you going to live under something that you don't even know what you're living under? I want you to know that If you want to live in a long-term life of humility, you must no longer live in a distorted reality. You got to be painfully honest of how you are looking at yourself. You got to realize that if I am following a selfish ambition, I can't be a follower of Christ. When Christ brings about salvation, I become a new creation. All the old is done away with, everything becomes new. If you look at your life, Would people say of you, you are constantly stirring up trouble? If they would say that of you, it's because you are selfishly ambitious. You are driven for a selfish agenda. Are you following worldly wisdom or are you following the wisdom that comes from above? You see, selfish ambition leads to bitterness. It's harboring envy within your hearts. Don't boast about that. Don't follow that. 
Now, that wisdom doesn't come from a heaven, uh, but it's earthly wisdom, and it's unspiritual, and it's actually called demonic in James chapter 3, verse 15. You see, selfishness moves you to compare yourself to others, where God moves you to celebrate others. So walking in heavenly wisdom is a wisdom that will allow me to value others more important than myself. And then we learn, number five, that if we are driven by selfish ambition, we're trying to mix good with bad. We cannot be radically God-centered. We are always striving to be like him, but we cannot be centered around him. You say, well, all this is good, but what in the world is humility? Humility is considering others more important than myself. So I want to talk to you about four footings of humility. You know, we recently put a building up, and it had over 100 footers, but it had four or maybe six major footers that are holding up the significant weight of that building. And so I want us to look at one verse, and we're going to look at these four footers of humility. And that one verse is Philippians chapter 2, where Paul says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Let's take that first phrase. Do nothing from selfish ambition. Now, footing number one would be a heart that is pure. We're talking about motivation here. We're talking about our purpose. My motivation is that I'm not selfishly driven. My purpose is not to meet my own agenda. My purpose is that I'm going to live with a heart of purity. Romans 15, verse 20 says, and Paul says, you know, it's always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Don't you love that? So the problem is not ambition. Ambition is good. Paul says, I want to preach the gospel where Christ is not known, but I don't want to do it on somebody else's foundation. In other words, I don't want to come into a town and get uh, members from this church and that church and this church and this church and and put them all together and and build my own church, right? I know. He says, my ambition is to preach the gospel where Christ is not known. I don't want to build on somebody else's foundation. That was his pure heart. That was his pure motivation. That was his pure purpose. You know, purpose is so important. There's a true story of the friendship between a Jewish writer and a French Christian writer. And this Jewish writer was a Holocaust survivor. And when he was in a concentration camp, he was torn from his mother and his sisters and was forced to see his father beaten to death by Nazi guards. Well, after the war, uh, he became friends with this Christian. This Christian uh, was a prominent writer and And uh, this Christian was a former leader in the French resistance movement. And they had kind of a mutual respect for one another. But this Holocaust survivor one day decided that he would spend some time with his new Christian friend with the purpose of asking if he could use that friendship for him to meet the prime minister of France. He says, this would be my motivation to meet with his friend, and uh, I'm going to kind of use our, our relationship so that, that he can say a good word and put me in connection with the Prince of France. In a 1996 interview, they discover that as these two come together, uh, this person 
discovered that he was wrongly motivated. He realized that he didn't have a relationship with Christ, and he became a follower of Christ, and he recognized that he was wrongly motivated. He said, I felt so embarrassed when I became a follower of Christ. He says, I closed my notebook and, and I, I, I went into an elevator, but this friend came after me and he pulled me back and he sat me down. And as they're communicating back and forth, he just began to weep. He says, I felt like a criminal. I felt like I was using my friend and I, and I realized just how bad it was to use my friend. Well, that guy became a follower of Christ and God turned him around. And God used uh, his relationship with the Lord to give him a platform to share the gospel where everyone, but he says, I'm no longer motivated for myself. I'm motivated for Christ, a pure motivation. You see, there's something else that you will notice if you are a Christ follower and you're walking in humility, you have a heart that is pure. You know, the heart is that part that nobody can see. The second thing that you have is that hope that is pure. You're not driven by conceit. You're not going on false assumptions about others. Now, if I were to ask you how you would personally define success, as a matter of fact, they did this survey uh, not too long ago, and it was back in 2019, they decided they would go ahead and survey people and say, what is your definition of success? And they gave them two options, A or B. A would be uh, a successful person is a person uh, that has followed their own interests and their own talents, and they became the best they can be at what they care about the most. That's letter A. Or is success a person that is rich, has a high-profile career, well-known, and well-connected? Now, which one do you think most people would choose? Now, if you choose option A for yourself, uh, that's right. I mean, uh, most people would choose option A and think that that would be the most accurate definition of success. So if you chose option A uh, for yourself, but you thought that most people would choose option B, uh, you are living under this collective illusion. Uh, So the question came from that 2019 survey of more than 5,200 people conducted on the ways of how Americans publicly define success. Here's the results. The result was 97% chose A for themselves, but 92% thought that most others would choose B. So the conclusion is this. We've learned that a large majority of people felt like the most important attribute for success in their own lives were qualities such as character and good relationships and education. But these same people believe that most others prioritized comparative attributes such as wealth, status, and power. So do you see that disconnect? You see that difference between how we view ourselves? We're kind of conceited uh, and how we view ourselves. We think that we view ourselves a little better than most people view success. False assumptions about others. But if you're going to be living and walking in humility, you're going to have a hope that is pure. And number three, you're going to have a habit that is pure. You're going to create habits that are pure. Paul says, but in humility. 
What is humility? It is that habitual quality whereby we live the truth through things. The truth that we are creatures and that we are not the creator. The truth that our life is a composite of good and evil, light and darkness. The truth that in our littleness, we have been given extravagant dignity. Well, I've got one final point. And in the closing minute of the broadcast, the last stage or or foundation of humility is that I honor and my purity in honoring other people where Paul says, count others more significant than yourself. That's the key. If you'd like to live a life of humility, would you take a challenge today? This week, I'm going to humbly count somebody else more important than myself. Uh, Maybe you could do this for your spouse. I'm going to consider my wife or my husband this week more important than myself, and it's going to be reflected in how I treat them. Maybe it's your children. Maybe it's a co-worker. Maybe it's a neighbor. Uh, Maybe it's somebody you go to church with. I'm going to treat them more important than myself. I promise you, uh, you will be beginning the habit of walking in humility. Well, thank you so much for listening today. God bless you. I look forward to talking with you tomorrow. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.